at home for two days thursday i think we interviewed like eight people yesterday and now we're on friday we have another stack show we have so many good guests today so many awesome things uh we're gonna get to but you you it's a special day today isn't it it is it's a beautiful national defense transportation day Ooh, is what it is here right hey fittingly we have an article on freightwaves.com right now that is talking about how the i didn't even know this existed the national nuclear security administration the nnsa they're seeking drivers in amarillo texas and albuquerque new mexico to transport nuclear weapons across the country Nice. Wow. They must pay really good. Yeah, it should, right? right. It doesn't. It no. Does, no, it says it's paying 52000 to 76000 which wow. uh, that's kind of just regular industry pay. We're hearing like companies giving a big bonus to wow. do just, like regular freight. So they get the like nuclear weapons and fizzle material and maybe get hijacked Apparently. by... Uh, yeah. But a regular pay, at least. Terrorist domestic or foreign. <laughs> I don't know. Not, wow. It's not a huge sell for me. Um, no, me neither. <laughs> speaking of nuclear, we're going to talk to uh, guests coming up in just a minute here about nuclear verdicts. But yes. before we do, let's tip the band. This let's episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at, tell them, dude. Oh, man, go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. Now, there was a great article on FreightWaves.com earlier in the week, or maybe it was even yes. last Friday. It was, uh, it was Gray Sharky. She was writing about Steve Bryan. He's the CEO of Blue Wire, and they have this really interesting uh, method, right? This really interesting yeah. product yeah. for countering nuclear verdicts, and it doesn't work exactly how you may think it would. So let's talk to Steve and, and hear all about this. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Good morning, gentlemen. Now, I love the hat on the wall, and I got to ask you, have you considered maybe folding Blue Wire now and taking a job as a driver to transport nuclear weapons across the country for $52,000? Probably. That would probably not be a good idea for any anyone uh, anywhere in the country. But that's interesting that that is uh, – that today is – what would you call it in that? Nuclear Securement Day? I no, no, it's, no. It's, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's National National Defense Transportation Nat- Day. Okay, National Defense. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> well, speaking of nuclear, well, nuclear verdicts, big issue. We talk about day. them all of the time. We hear about the legal cases behind them. But tell us what Blue Wire does. I found this fascinating when I was reading the article. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so as you know, the, the these so-called nuclear verdicts have been on the rise. They're a huge threat to the entire trucking industry. Uh, the, the trial attorneys have gotten very good at targeting trucking companies and painting them as evil operators, bad corporate citizens who don't care at all about other motorists and, uh, you know, put profit over everything else. So it's a reputational, uh, uh, argument that they make and it resonates with juries. It, it instills fear in juries and they return these insanely high verdicts. So what Blue Wire has done is uh, we are developing a, a data platform that will collect data to help the trucking industry flip that script and tell the authentic story of the trucking industry to show what an incredibly uh, important industry this is, how critical it is to all of our lives. Everything we wear, eat, touch, smell comes in a truck. And what we're trying to do is arm the, the industry with a positive narrative to counter this negative narrative that the uh, the trial attorneys have developed so well. 
That's excellent stuff, and I applaud you for that because it is honest. It's one hundred percent, and it's one hundred percent true. But reading into that article, there were some interesting things that you guys do to for specific for each 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 uh, client, right, mm-hmm. or each each company, right? As far as monitoring yeah. uh, chats and texts, can you get into that a little bit? Sure. What we we call them attack vectors. That's what the, that's a and in cybersecurity, an attack vector would be a an email attachment or a phishing link or something like that. And in our world, an attack vector are those things that the trial attorneys look for as vulnerabilities to come after the motor carrier. So they could be things like, I don't have certain technology in place. I don't use cameras. Or it could be things you don't think about, like the chatter that takes place between the dispatcher and the driver, you know, that might be encouraging them to exceed their hours, just get the load delivered, that kind of thing. Posts on job boards, social media posts. There's a whole universe of things that we'll be mining and evaluating towards the, our goal of, of actually applying a numeric value, scoring the reputation of every single motor carrier in the United States. Wow. So, Steve, how does that work? So, say I'm a carrier, I, I hear this, and I'm like, wow, this sounds fantastic. So, mm-hmm. I go to your site. What, what's the process like? Walk me through it. Yeah. So, good question. So, we're, we're just launching. So, uh, in a couple of weeks, we will let the industry engage with us. We're going to have a kind of a, a self-assessment survey that every motor carrier will begin to be able to take, no, no charge. So we'll be able to sh- have people start thinking about kind of a self-evaluation. And then later in the summer into the fall, we'll be rolling out a subscription-based software platform that will be in place to monitor all of the things that they do internally, again, to help not to find not to be negative and find the problems, but in fact, to reinforce that positive narrative. So let me ask you this, Steve, because it begs the question a little bit, which is we're talking about these nuclear verdicts. Are you guys like on retainer and stuff? Do you, do you help with the defense afterwards or are you just purely beforehand giving them these vehicles? Yeah. So what, what we're not, we're not, we're not lawyers. Um, you know, we, we play one on TV, so to speak, but what we're going to do is look, this is a huge, huge challenge that we have undertaken. And we call it the army of allies. We can't do this. This isn't something just a piece of software solves. So what we're going to do, think of us as the physician. We're going to find where those vulnerabilities are. Then we're going to direct the motor carrier to a whole universe of services, suppliers, software technology to help reinforce where they may have vulnerabilities. And that may include uh, sending, sending them into a good attorney if they don't have one. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve, my inner my inner Mister Wonderful is coming out, so I must ask, <laughs> how do you make money with it? It'll be a so it'll be a, a, a you know what's known as a SaaS software as a service. It'll be a subscription. Motor carriers will come and subscribe to this service. Um, it'll be on a per driver per month basis, very affordable. It'll work for very small carriers all the way up to the big national mega carriers. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. So. Uh, you just rolled out. Do you, we have clients. Uh, where, where, where are you going from here? Yeah, so so we did. We just announced the company uh, about 10 days ago, uh, and the response has been uh, uh, surprisingly stronger than we'd, we'd maybe anticipated. So we're getting inundated with a lot of, uh, a lot of interest. Um, we will start later this summer with the paid service, so we're still in the kind of what they'd call the beta testing period of the software. So uh, we're still a couple of months probably from from actually having something the industry can, uh, can engage with from a product perspective. 
Wow. We look forward. We'll catch up yeah. with you near the end of the year to see how the rollout went oh. and what some of the feedback is. This product sounds really, really interesting to us. And we were, we're at, thank you for your time and sharing uh, what you guys are oh, doing delighted, with it. Delighted to be with you. Delighted In the meantime, where do we point. send people to? Uh, BlueWire.ai. BlueWire.ai. Easy enough. That's our website. Steve, right. have a, Steve, have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Yeah. You too, gentlemen. Thank you. Hey, cool stuff. And another great article by Grace Shark. Yeah, I know oh, yeah, I'm always yeah, like, you know, giving it. her the cowbell and, and applauding, but Man, I, she's I'm, killing it. I'm she's so happy she joined us. She does she has a lot year. of coverage that aligns with, uh, with our interests. Yes, absolutely. Hey, you know what? There's Kenco. You see Kenco in Chattanooga, right? Oh, yeah. You're driving down here. Actually, they're right near where I got a, my first vaccine, my first jab. And, uh, you know, when you drive by some of their facilities, they are applauded. Kenco, very well known for safety. And now oh, it's yeah, no absolutely. surprise that they recently did a case study using wearables in their warehouse to see what they can learn from it. Miguel Trevino, he's their CSP, Director of Environmental Health and Safety at Kenco. He's going to tell us all about this case study and what went into it. Miguel, thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for um, being on the show. Yeah, tell us a little bit. Tell us. So this survey sounded really cool. And, I, you know, one thing I got to say, though, just put some, some color and context here. He's an Auburn U grad. And at Auburn U, very friendly campus, right? They have a day there called Hey Day. And all you do is you put a name tag on, you walk around, and you say, hey. They also have alumni <laughs> like Bo Jackson, Cam Newton, okay. Apples, Tim Cook, Tennessee Governor Billy, and our own Miguel Trevino. <laughs> I thought War Eagle. Glad to see that. Yeah, so Canco. We're always looking for any ways to innovate and to provide safety to our associates out in the warehouse. So um, earlier last year, we were looking at different technology, and we had this one uh, opportunity to test out what's called a wearable technology. So this is what it is. It's basically a small unit. It's about the size of a matchbox. And what it does, it, um, it's something that ties onto the associate's collar, and it monitors individual movements uh, of our pickers out on the floor. And what that does is lets the associate know if they're doing safe body movements out on the floor, such as bending, lifting, any type of activity that may put their um, safety into harm when they're working out on the picking line. It's a great way for associates to basically work on their posture and work safely. Because, as you know, injuries from lifting is a big part of warehouse industries and logistics because uh, you can easily get hurt picking up items off the, off the shelf or off of the floor. So this little unit can give you an audible. The, the associate will hear a little sound that will beep on it. I had it beep just a moment ago and vibrate to let them know that their position, their their body position is awkward and that they should correct themselves on that on that, on that basis. So it collects a baseline. It lets us know where they start, and then as it monitors throughout the day, it gives that vibrable vibration sound back to the associate to let you know they need to change. Now the big part of it is an opportunity for management to coach associates on the floor. So they can go by, look at a, a, a dashboard and see how they're performing and say, hey, you know, let's work on this. I see that there's a lot of movements. And so we can coach associates to work safer on the floor um, by this little device. So Miguel, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about the study, yeah. right? You did a, you did a study yeah. on this. And what were the results mm -hmm. of that study? So we saw a 21% improvement in uh, workers' um, hazard movement. So uh, this will determine, um, based on the type of movement they have, if they're a high hazard, low hazard, or, or, or medium hazard. And so when we see these high peaks where the associates were doing awkward movements, we can go back and look at the data and say, okay, what time was this movement? Where were they picking within the warehouse? And take a look at what objects they were moving. Is it, was it in a bad position? Was it a heavy thing? What caused that associate to, to make an awkward position um, while they're on the floor, and uh, then we can analyze and say, hey, yes, 
uh, we need to improve it. We need to lift up this product. It needs team help. Uh, and basically um, see a change in a person's behavior. And that's what we're really trying to shoot for is when you're out on the floor, it's the behaviors of the associates that need to be coached and talked to so that they can improve and work safer on the floor. So we saw a big number of 21% of those hazard movements by simply just coaching and talking to the associates on the floor. Now, Michael Vincent, I have an yes, uncle, and he uh, he was he got injured in a warehouse. A box fell on his head, and he said he lost his sense of taste. Now, I'm not what? I'm not really sure if I can prove that or not, uh, but he said he lost his sense of taste. That's okay. all I, all I know about that story. I leave that one to the judges. Is but, that a disability? That's what he said. He lost his. Sense. But you're 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 tracking motion here, but probably for a reason. You know, you walk into a warehouse, you put the hard hat on. Maybe you think you're going to get injured by a falling box or a forklift or something to that. Or, but are most of these injuries just repetitive motion type of injuries? Exactly. Soft tissue movements, repetitive motions on the floor. You know, we have all experienced those soft tissue injuries playing, you know, sports and stuff like that. So anywhere we can prevent those injuries happening, you know, uh, coaching and and understanding where the areas of opportunities are at within the warehouse provides immediate feedback to associates. You know, we see this as a possibility of just a game changer because everybody wants to know how they're doing on the floor and not everybody can go out there and talk to associates every single minute. But this is an opportunity for kind of a, a little mechanism to let the associate know, it's like, hey, I need to be standing up straighter. I need to be doing proper lifting with coaching and the right tools that are in place. You can be, definitely make a game changer uh, for associates on the floor. You certainly can. But we want to be safe. That's what we want. Oh, yeah. No, I, no doubt about it. I mean, right over here on Amnicola Highway in, in Chattanooga, the, the world's safest warehouse for, for years over yeah. there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it hit 25 years, like 19 years ago, it hit 25 years wow. without an injury. <laughs> yeah, uh, <clears throat> Literally 19 years ago. But um, so what is, what is, but what is the employee buy-in, right? What has been their response, right? Do they look at this as like so the, it, the, 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 the invisible fence collar for dogs? Or, I mean, are they just no, like, yeah, absolutely. Finally. All it's capturing is movement, so it's not capturing any bioinformation. We, we don't know anything besides just it was up or down, left or right. The, the mm-hmm. technology in this little unit is so sensitive that it can tell us a lot of just by how many degrees that the spine was, was moving. So the, the buy-in is simple. You know, you start at the beginning by letting the associate know that this is an opportunity to, to learn, to coach, to do better um, body mechanics out on the floor. Hey, we, there's even um, sport teams that use this technology on their athletes to determine how fast and quickly moving. So this is the same concept. We're trying to coach you. We're trying to provide you some feedback so you're not injured. So it starts from the very beginning to let them know what this device is about. And also there is some part of it is there's a gamification. There's information that they can go back and look at. At the end of the day, when they scan, it has a little um, QR code on the back. They scan in, scan out. There'll be a video that will pop up that will talk through how to do lifting correctly or any type of the sensitive, there's several modules they can go in and read and learn about how to do things correctly so they can get some feedback. Because we all want feedback. We all want to know how we're doing. And this device provides that feedback and change that behavior for that associate on the floor. Yeah, you know, you keep mentioning coaching, and, and that seems like the real important thing here. Because you're an employee, they put this thing, they put the thing on you. You're like, is this to get me in trouble, right? Is this to say yeah. you're, you're doing a bad job? Versus it, coaching, like you said, is the real important thing here. So, and and that that you have to create that trust with employees, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't just say coaching. You have to go and coach them, and and not reprimand them for for you know the way they're picking up a box, but teaching them the proper ways and what those analytics and how they can aid them. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's, it goes back to we want to know how we're doing. Someone's talking to me. We're not out here on an island. No one's talking to me. I don't know how I'm doing, but 
uh, if someone's talking to me about how I'm working, especially around safety, and you can tell associates, we want you to go home safely. We don't want you to get injured because a back injury sitting at home is no fun because you can't be with your family. You can't go out and take your dog for a walk because you're laying on a bed with a back injury. We want to prevent that. We want you to enjoy your weekends. We want you to make sure that you're safe and sound um, for your family. So, you know, this is one of the tools that we can provide to our associates. We're looking to expanding this in different areas within uh, Kinko across country because uh, it's really an easy way for us to help sites that may have certain injuries, accidents at the site that we can prevent those ergonomic injuries uh, out there for us. Yeah, it's no doubt that Kinko is, is a leader in, in warehousing, obviously, and in safe warehousing and safety for its employees, Correct. right? It's been known for that for years. What else are you guys seeing that's cool in, in warehousing and the tech wearables? So, yeah, with, with working with our innovation lab, my safety group, we're always out there looking for, for the new technology. Right now, exoskeleton is something also that we're venturing into, yeah. so taking a look at to, to change, once again, the ability for, for persons to perform jobs safely, uh, not to be a superman, but to do the job correctly and safely out there. Uh, gamification is also big out there in the safety world. Uh, you know, the opportunities for, for associates to learn about safety, because Sitting in a room and using a PowerPoint and just pouring out information, you know, right now the, the associates that are working out in the warehouse, they want to make it fun. They want to make it interactive. We got to be able to go to them and give them the information so they can take it back and use it because no one wants to sit there all day long and just sit through a classroom uh, and, and just being told what's safe. We want to make it fun. We want to make it interaction. So we're looking at micro learning, gamification, just to deliver that message to our associates so they can do a better job out on the floor. What about when we talk about warehouse automation and robots and that that kind of thing? You know, warehouse workers are they're in a shifting, changing world. You mentioned it, gamification, you know, the tracking and all of that that kind of stuff. How how is that going? And what is sort of the the employee, uh, I guess, opinion like the the, uh, the zeitgeist of the warehouse worker right now, at least as you're seeing? Yeah. So robotics have changed. It changes every year for the thing. What used to take you know ten years for a programmer to sit there and program a robot. Now it has basically been simple to where someone can walk in and just move the robot to tell it what to do uh, to do that process. But, you know, I think associates understand that robots are there to help them to do the hard lifting. There's still the interaction that we need for, for someone still has to read the ticket sometimes. Some people still have to go look for something that may be misplaced. But individuals understand that this is doing the heavy lifting for them. And that's the way we, we kind of work around robots and automation is, we're letting these things do the, the heavy lifting while we're doing the stuff that we can do to limit ourselves from putting us in those dangerous situations or hazards out on the floor uh, for individuals. So I think the, the idea that, that we're, we're helping the associate, we're not, not working towards, you know, automating and taking away jobs. We're, we're helping to improve the work environment by making things easier for folks on the floor. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. When you talk about the robotics and uh, as, as far as changing the lives of the workers, right? Their biggest fear is it's going to replace them, Yeah. right? So, but, but we all know what has really come through automation in, in other fields as well is mm-hmm. it creates different types of jobs. And there's this kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, new training. Are you, are you guys seeing that there? Is that what you're working through now? Do you, you know, you have warehousers doing, warehouse employees doing specific jobs. But as you automate and you bring these things in there, their jobs are changing. So internally, you'd be retraining from other jobs, correct? Exactly. And it brings the skill level to a whole different level now. Because now, only, now it's just one job. We want to build that associate up to understand the whole flow of the warehouse. So it may be just you're not you're not one area now. Now you're in multiple areas, learning about different areas in, in the warehouse, so you can grow within the industry and perform at top levels and, and be a, be a key player for our industry and, and for Kento. So yes, 
you know, we're, we're continuously looking at, at robots, conveyor systems, things that can improve that flow so we can improve our, our, our work floor. And, you know, we all want to spend time with our family and we don't want to make it to where we're working, you know, 24 seven and no one gets to go home because they're too busy at the warehouse. We want to make it an easy job environment for us. And it starts with a good culture. It starts with good training and it starts with a, a team that's willing to go out there and uh, meet with the associates on the floor. And for me as a safety here at Kinko, we want to be sure that our employees are our priorities out there and mm-hmm. keep our employees safe. Yeah, it's, you know, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, too. Uh, is Kenco doing anything in regards to that, the, the mental health of warehouse workers and, and the importance there? Well, I know our HR team is working real hard to always deliver that message. Uh, they do provide services and, and messaging out for like that. So, yeah, we do work with our HR team to, to make sure that our associates get the information and then they help they need to to deal with all their different situations. Everyone's always dealing with uh, things in, outside of work. So, you know, our team is always, uh, HR team is, does a real good job of uh, looking at those things. So, Miguel, so we're, as we, we're on it. Go ahead. Yeah, so mm-hmm. as, we're, as we're talking about this in the, in the stretching, you got to look at this uh, with, the, with the warehouse workers in, in different areas, the automation, et cetera. They got to look at this as there's more avenues for advancement now, right? I mean, one of the hard yeah. things of being a warehouse, and I've been there before early on in my career, is you're, you're, you're working in the warehouse, and then there's one warehouse manager, right? So you got 50 people out mm-hmm. there all going, well, my career path goes through that one guy. This automation actually provides more avenues for advancement, correct? Yeah. If, if you have the eagerness to learn about technology, I mean, there's, there's always going to be someone that needs to program it, maintain it. Um, there's avenues where they can learn about, you know, just simply how to set up these machines because as, as the industry grows and this type of products are in warehouses, if you become an expert in those things, uh, you can be a valuable key player for that. And you just have to be willingness to learn the technology. I mean, we, we have a, a machinery that, that needs to be programmed by somebody. So if you can learn it from the start, though, you'll be a very uh, key player for, for everybody, for our team. Now, Miguel, this, so, is, yeah, this, is, this has been great. Before we let you go, though, Michael's got to spin this wheel really quick. Spin it around, Michael Vincent. Okay. Spin it right now. Use that finger of yours. War there we eagle, go. War Eagle. War round Eagle. War Eagle. War Eagle. All right. Okay. What do we got for him? All right. We got this. If you could download your consciousness into a robot, would okay. you? Would you do it? Well, I, I think uh, I, I would because I'm a very as being safety. I'm conscious. I'm not afraid to talk to somebody, and I want to make sure people are hurt. So my conscience is always the well-being of others. So I think, yeah, I think a robot will uh, benefit from my conscious understanding that you know I'm here to take care of our associates, and I won't get someone uh, hurt. And uh, being nice and being grateful is always a good thing. I love it, Mecca Miguel. Awesome stuff, man. How do people uh, how do people learn more about what Kenco's doing in terms of uh, warehouse safety? Uh, they can always visit our Kenco website and uh, kencogroup.com and learn about Kenco. And uh, we have a lot of links on there to our innovation lab and, and Kenco's home here in Chattanooga and across country. Hey, we really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you one more time. All right. Hey, again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at Tell em, Dude. Oh, go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. Hey, we had a net zero carbon summit here at FreightWaves a couple weeks yes, ago. Yes, we it's did. a great time. Actually, we just raised a, if you didn't catch us at home, we talked about it, we raised $16 million in part to uh, develop our freight carbon intelligence tool, which is in Sonar. Freight carbon intelligence, huge, huge issue. C.H. Robinson just did a survey. Their shipper's number two pain point is sustainability. 
okay. and the tools to, right. to support that, to show that to the market, to show that to investors, to show that to customers, everything. Yeah. They want it, but all the tools aren't there. They're starting to get yeah. developed, though. Right. Tim Gagnon, Vice President of Analytics and Data Science at CH Robinson, also at the Innovation Robinson's Lab. He's with us today to talk about what they're doing in regards to sustainability. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon, guys. Now, you guys are over in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And before we jump into this, PFF just regraded. They regraded the Vikings 2020 draft class to an A+. Do you agree with that? <laughs> you know what? You cut out for a minute, and I'm glad it was a Viking. It seemed like a Viking analogy. I'm a Patriot fan. Oh. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, perfect. Well, let's let's jump into it here. What do you got, Michael Vincent? I'm sorry. Oh, man. So, uh, so let's jump into this here. What are the big meaningful steps that the industry needs to really uh, make to make a to, to to create this big impact on on our carbon footprint? You know, I think the 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 biggest thing is really just to focus on it and and prioritize it strategically. You know, I this is kind of stating the obvious, but we've been all working on optimization forever, right? I mean, decades. And but that optimization is really centered more around cost mitigation, containment, better service, inventory management, those sorts of things. Really managing and improving your emissions and sustainable footprint is is really directly correlated to a lot of those same activities. So I think it's really putting a focus on it and, you know, to be able to do that. And a big part of what we've been investing in is, you know, if, and being an analytical professional, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So you start with the measurement, which isn't the simplest of endeavors. Uh, but I, as we, you know, I guess, uh, invest in that area and make it more attainable to be able to understand your carbon emissions, then we can work together to really attack it and approve it. So I think uh, putting a focus on it, having the tools to do it, and then collaborating to to make gains in this area is what uh, we see more and more. You, you referenced the survey early on. Customers are putting a higher and higher priority in this area. Well, tell us about it. I mean, you kind of alluded to it with tools. There just hasn't been a ton of tools to help companies do this. Mm-hmm. I've seen some TMSs add in, you know, carbon tracking tools and those kind of things. But yeah. they, until recently, they've been relatively rudimentary, right? So why is it so hard for companies to measure their transportation emissions? Is it just that the tech hasn't really matured yet? Yeah, that's been part of it. I, I you know, I would say that We've been focused on sustainability for years. It's more and more important today. But a few years ago, we didn't have the standardization in the way we even scored emissions. Different organizations would do their best to quantify the emission output, but there'd be variability. And you'd spend a lot of time on just trying to sync up on how you'd agree to measuring emissions. And the good news is with GLAC, the Global Logistics Emissions Council, uh, being a, you know, a, a foundational standard for us in the industry now, that's been great progress. We've recently been accredited by GLAC. And, and so having, again, having the foundation there is a big step forward. But it is a very, very challenging process to wrangle this data. I think you guys know it well, and probably many of the listeners do as well getting accurate weight associated with shipments, cube associated with shipments, the variability by mode, it is a challenging endeavor. So uh, 
you know, to your point, I think more and more organizations are focusing on it. And what's also a part of the challenge is it's ever changing. You know, at, at the the scores and the way technology is used, the you know, e-commerce has driven a lot more activity into the less than truckload and partial truckload space, which is the most challenging arena from a missions perspective. So those are some of the things, some of the challenges that we have. And again, creating a tool that can make that easy for folks will allow us to put our time into the most important work, which is the optimization efforts to reduce the emissions and and get to the, you know, what we're all focused on is creating more sustainable solutions for the long term of our our businesses. Well, let's take a look. We have a picture of the dashboard in Emissions IQ. Walk us through what we're looking at here. Sure. So, you know, ultimately, like any dashboard, you kind of start at the top of the house and then you and then you tear it down and and work into the detail. So in this particular example, we're looking at uh, a quarter by quarter view of the emissions utilized across the shipment base of a particular customer. You can see uh, at the top of the screen kind of a summary view of the the emissions and where we've been able to avoid emissions on the very far right in the light blue. We've also got a smart way score. And then on the bottom half of the screen, the mode by mode view. So each of the different modes has a unique way to calculate emissions and has its own area of opportunity, if you will, to optimize. So, uh, you know, the dashboard provides the opportunity to score and I'm not sure if you have a snapshot of it, but the, the place we usually go next in the conversation is to start to discuss where we have opportunities to improve. One of the, the benefits that Robinson has with our, our large global business is we've got 19 million shipments running through our platform years and years, millions and millions of shipments over time. So we give our customers the ability to benchmark their emissions footprint versus like customers in the same vertical. And that's when, you know, the fun stuff starts to happen in terms of our opportunity to uh, really start to set initiatives in motion to improve. Yeah, it's really interesting because when you were talking about that, I I love the dashboard uh, because you were talking about it, and we've talked about this before. With that, everybody wants data and data and analytics and visibility, right? But it doesn't do anything to see the visibility unless you know what to do with it. And that's what I was uh, wondering. I mean, you've you've built this so that people can see this. You did a survey, um, and is is it true that that the second biggest one was was uh, the sustainability, the pain point. Their second biggest pain point is sustainability. And specifically, how do they use this to do that? Where, where, where is this? Uh, it takes the data and then says, okay, here's your opportunities. Yeah, I, I must admit, it surprised me also that it was number two. Number one was cost containment in the chaotic market that we've seen, obviously, over the past year plus. But it it is it, it absolutely was stated as a top priority and i think you know as we've you know developed this product and piloted it initially and now we've had several hundred customers participate since we've launched just a few weeks ago uh, and been very enthusiastic about it uh, but yeah it 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 has been impressive and frankly a bit surprising how much energy there is around this and you know I, whether it's you know 
investors or a leadership strategy or, you know, I, the employees of CH Robinson, the employees of our customers are very motivated by doing the right things for the long term of the environment, if you will. So there are a lot of passion. So just to, to answer the question around, you know, how is it engaged? If you're a Robinson customer, you execute freight with us. We have the scorecards available to you. Our account teams are engaging with the customers. And inside that platform is the opportunity to score and some recommendations assisted by the account team to work with the customers to develop initiatives to talk about ways to improve that footprint. And those are most typically... Uh, it could be modal conversion. It could be fuller trucks. It could be less shipments per week. It could be filling up a backhaul there. And again, I, I mentioned earlier, those are a lot of the common tactics we've been working on in supply chain optimization over time mm-hmm. that we're now able to quantify the benefit from a greenhouse gas perspective as well. Well, let's talk about that because your press release reads in its pilot phase, Emissions IQ has already helped 125 companies reduce their carbon emissions by a total of 350,000 metric tons of CO2 equivalents. But for those of us that you know aren't scientists or, or chemists and we don't know exactly what that looks like, I mean, do you have a banana for scale? What is like? What's the equivalent to something that like a, a layman may know? Yeah, well, the I guess the best way I can quantify, and it's very difficult mode by mode, is that is a four times reduction in the carbon footprint of those par- pilot participants. And if you think about that, that's meaningful reduction in the amount of emissions, uh, you know, from the transportation. It, uh, transportation is just short of 30 percent of total greenhouse gas emissions. So transportation contributes. It's the number one contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. And if you can reduce that by four times, that is a meaningful impact. We've got 200,000 customers. Obviously, those pilot participants were very small in the total portfolio that we have, but it it sets us in motion to get really excited about the impact we can make around across the portfolio. And and we feel across the industry as well, as we all get more tuned into this. It's excellent stuff. Now, when you were talking about, uh, I asked you a question about how, how the, the platform helps the customer see those those uh, opportunities, right? And, it, and you talked about it could be uh, better better cube utilization, backhauls, et cetera, right? This really, uh, in your opinion, does this, does this really accentuate the, the need to connect sales and marketing with production and shipping and then with the carriers to work together to find better ways of, of doing things to optimize those things. Uh, the benefits far outweigh just sustainability, do they not? They definitely do. And, I, you know, I was on with you guys in September talking about ProcureIQ as we released that product. And I, I'm a huge believer. I've been in this industry for 22 years and a huge believer in the fact that very little big change, big positive outcome comes in a silo. It takes collaboration across the constituencies. Sometimes that's within one organization, but almost always it's across multiple organizations as we execute what we do. And and yeah, I, I do absolutely agree that emissions optimization comes hand in hand with cost optimization and inventory optimization. And that's very much the way as we go to market and do this more routinely as we deliver this product, it very much fits into the day-to-day activities of our relationships that many of those wheels are in motion already with our customer base. So it 
it has been a great addition to the portfolio. And uh, and again, we're in the early innings. I think what what will be, I think even a, a greater opportunity to impact things is when we get more and more work done in this area to automate more of our learnings into the tool to help us move faster, more at scale as well. And we'll share those those learnings. We really want to be an advocate for the industry. Our work in, we just completed work with MIT and Smartway on our LTL and partial truckload or the partial truckload logic around emission scoring because that's the most difficult arena to score. Uh, lots of different customer shipments on a truck with a lot of variability to it, very difficult to score. So we're we're very passionate about not only serving our customer base and certainly our business, but also being a patron to the industry progress in this area as well. We and you mentioned marketing and things like visibility, sustainability are you know there's there's that sort of value to to keeping the world clean, but a lot of it also is just that demand because the consumer wants to see that they want to know that oh, they yeah. are buying from sustainable companies. They want to know where their goods are, right? I mean, is a lot of the demand is that is the marketing side, right, Tim? Yeah, yeah, for sure it is, and and it's you know obviously we've you know we're here and we've we've been you know doing everything that we can to make sure that we, uh, I guess, send the message out so that we can actually do the hard work to, to make the progress. And, and again, I, I would I think we all know this, that we're still in the early innings and we're going to continue to share uh, as much as we can to try to continue to build that momentum. But the marketing side of it is absolutely critical. And, you know, some of it, some folks actually, you know, they don't take it positively necessarily of like, if this is stuff we've been doing for a long time, you're just marketing it differently. Well, you know, getting people to actually do something about it, it takes their passion for it. And, and I think the marketing builds the passion for this. And as I said, it, it, it is a high accountability from investors. If you're a public company, they have an expectation around this senior leadership is focused on it. And, so the word is spreading in all different forums, but certainly marketing is a big part of that as well. Hey, Tim, we really appreciate you telling us all about how this, this program works. If people want more information, where should we send them to? Yeah, so chrobinson.com, and there's an emissions IQ page associated with that. You can get a glance at the product. You can connect with us, and we'll follow up with you and, and directly connect. If it is a C.H. Robinson customer, ask your account team. They'll get you set up and take you on the journey. Tim, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Have a great weekend. Okay. Michael Vincent, our next yes, guest. Yes, sir. Wrote about the newsletter, cover story in the newsletter on mm-hmm. Tuesday. Uh, little congratulations for him. It is Pierre Laguerre. He's the CEO and founder over at Fleeting. He's doing yeah. the Lord's work, giving the formerly incarcerated the chance to write their own comeback stories. And they're doing it with the Brooklyn Nets superstar Kyrie Irving and a few others who got involved in this most recent seed round that raised half a million dollars. Let's talk to the man of the hour. Pierre, oh. get on up here. Hey, man. How you guys doing, man? Pleasure to have me again. <laughs> Man, how did you, you run that hustle? How did you run into Kyrie and, and put this all together? How did you run that hustle? <laughs> Man, listen, I think it's not even how I did. I run to Kyrie. I think that the hustle, you know, putting the groundwork in, um, you know, I'm always about networking. And especially you can be in supply chain logistics and not have the skills of networking. So I think, you know, some of the early investors that I've met three years ago had a relationship with Kyrie Irving and they heard about the company. They said, man, this company right here, we love the mission. It's a social impact move. 
creating opportunities, especially for underserved communities. And I think, you know, Kyrie, uh, Kyrie himself is a real mission-driven individual. And he mm-hmm. saw that and he said, hey, man, how can I participate and kind of, you know, scale this um, part of the operation? Yeah, big fan of, of of yours and what you're doing there, Pierre, and of Kyrie Irving's. Uh, I'm a Cavs fan. Sorry to see him leave there. But um, who whose idea was it? Where where did the the uh, helping the incarcerated come into play? I mean, the underserved communities. I get it. Your whole business is about uh, networking and doing good for those people, and I, and I get it. It's awesome. I, I applaud you. Where did the idea for the incarcerated coming from? The idea came from some from many different um, areas, right? First, it was um, I believe three years ago after I got injured myself with a um, with a serious injury, I was invited to uh, to the five ventures to participate in kind of like a pre- uh, prison opportunity to where you go inside a prison and speak to men and women that are currently incarcerated, getting ready to yeah. release. And to be honest with you, man, that experience changed my life, right? Seeing and seeing those young men, those young women, the dreams that they have when they come out. But we all know the reality is, as soon as they come out into the street, there's no opportunities. There's no place where they can go to find a, a safe haven to where they can say, hey, look, this is who I am. I need this opportunity. That doesn't exist today. So I felt like I had a moral obligation. I felt like I had a moral... Um, that, I, I felt like that was my duty to do that because, number one, I came from those marginalized communities. I know brothers and sisters that's formerly incarcerated in the struggle that they're going mm-hmm. through. But also the most important part is our country short 900,000 drivers, right? And we can see what's happening today. We short on tanker drivers. And that's actually going to start costing American more money out of their pocket for paying fuel. So all those things, I kind of look at them as a way, okay, well, how can we bridge the gap? Meanwhile, you have those young men and young women looking for opportunity. Meanwhile, we have an $800 billion industry struggling to find drivers. So I felt like it was the perfect time to create this opportunity to bridge the gap, not just only for fleeting, but for me, I think the mission is that we've seen over and over how people destroy lives for profit. Here at Fleeting, we want to create a different mission. Is that, okay, well, how do we build lives and also make a profit at it? So that's where the idea came from. Yeah, you're trying to break that cycle of recidivism, right? People yeah. come out of jail, but because of their background, because they have that stigma on their resume, they can't get a job a lot of places. Nobody will hire them. They fall right back in. They go back to the old neighborhood. They fall right back into those bad habits in a lot of reasons because it's the only way to survive. And what you're doing what I really love about what you're doing is it's not about just like getting the driver in the truck and saying, go on your merry way. You're also teaching a lot of these people how to become their own CEO, how to become their own Pierre. Is that true? Absolutely. That's true. And if you look at it, um, look, statistics shows you that, right? Although the industry is an $800 billion industry, but 40% of the workforce are minorities, right? But those minorities operate under a ceiling cap. They don't have access to capital. They don't have access to resources. They don't have access to network to build and scale their businesses. So that really kind of prevent them from really seeing a growth and participating in the American dream. So I think for me, again, all the struggle with everything that I've went in my 17 years as being a driver, an operator, and running my own business, I think now I want to take that experience and share with others, you know, that come from the same community as me and show them exactly they can do the same thing. And at the same time, not only, once again, just putting money in their pocket and becoming entrepreneurs, but this is something, again, that will keep America moving forward. You know, Pierre, I, I worked in the, in the prison system running uh, uh, kitchens in high security in South Florida. And I ran into a guy once and he said it was his fourth time through and he was working through. And I was joking around. I just said, dude, you need a new profession because you are a terrible criminal. Yeah. And that was the moment where he educated me. And I had that moment, like you said, you did working in those missions in the prison where we've, we've got to do something. I haven't found that. I applaud what you're doing here, specifically with the money that you've got here. How are you going to convince people that they can hire these people and that they deserve this chance? Because there's a reason why they don't have these changes now, because people have these, they got the stigma. The yeah. People, like they can't be trusted. And like Duder pointed out, and we all know it's true they have nowhere else to go in many places because we don't give them that chance 
Absolutely. And I think the approach here is not to say, hey, look, we just open up the doors to welcome anyone that, you know, have a formerly um, incarcerated background. I think they'd still go through a strictly um, vetting process on our end to make sure that they understand exactly that, you know, coming back to society, you know, make sure that they don't reoffend. So there's a lot of different process that they go through. It's not just say, hey, look, anyone is welcome into this program. So they have to really, really be doing well. Um, three, six months prior to their release and upon release as well, is we want to be able to hold their hand, understand and teach them safety, how to get themselves back into society before we put them beyond the wheels. Now, we're talking about trucking here, right? Also a big component is safety. So once again, we're not rushing and just put these guys beyond the wheel. We want to really teach them the importance of safety. We really want to teach them the importance of taking care of the public at large. You operate a vehicle that's 80,000 pounds. So I think the approach here, once again, is not just take them and just put them beyond a truck. But what give us the ability to do so is a pretty much is an interesting piece in our business model. What we're doing now is we aggregating a whole bunch of trucks under one umbrella to give shippers the capacity that they deserve. And what that allow us to do as a company, it allow fleeting to remove the bias in hiring because we solely dictate that process. So I think it give us the full benefit or the full um, ability to really kind of not to say cherry pick, but we really want to see the people that want to do good, the people that want to move forward into society. And we want to actually give them that help. And I think, once again, I'm going to say this because from where I came from, somebody give me a shot. And I think I want to just, you know, pay it forward and giving those brothers and sisters a shot themselves. Well, I'll give you a little cowbell for that. But now let me turn the question on you, though. So there's a stigma for the drivers, but could there be a stigma for the, for the company? So they go, well, I don't want to work with fleeting because they, they, there's a bunch of ex-cons over there. Yeah. You know what some people could yeah. say? What, what would you say to the person who has that kind of, of fear of working with a company like fleeting that now is sort of intrinsically making this mission a part of their brand? Yes, that is a very good question. And that's a very good concern because we've heard that all the time. There's certain crimes, you know, we don't want to have to um, say more here that it's really, really bad that you can't, there's nothing you just can't do about it. But if you look at how many young black men or young women that have been incarcerated because of, you know, marijuana charges, those things is not, you know, real crimes, but a lot of those people that lost their job, they lost their family over charges that now marijuana is illegal, right? So I think when you're looking at those group of people, it's not to say that they committed violent crimes. It's not that they're out there hurting people. They make the wrong decision. You understand? Just trying to do something to take care of their family. And that for me is anyone that took the risk of becoming, you know, trying to sell drugs and trying to do those things, that means you're a hustler. So for me is how do we take that same attitude and put it into our network because hustlers at the end of the day, if you really understand the true meaning of a hustler, that's a guy that's not going to give up. He's going to go the extra mile. He's going to do it. He's going to make sure that the customer is satisfied. He's going to make sure that our customers are satisfied. So for us, it's not just, you know, look at it as a formerly incarcerated, but I think we just have to look at it. They're regular human beings, just like we are. Unfortunately, some of us made mistakes that was, you know, that we had to pay for it with our freedom. And unfortunately, you have people that have committed worse and still out here working free and probably working in one of the corporate jobs in America. So I think, again, we have to really remove the stigma of looking at them as just criminal individuals, like they're no good to society. And I think it's, it's our job. It's the entire country as a group to come together to provide those opportunities, to provide training and provide support. Because if we don't do that, once again, those people will reoffend and they will never find their way back to society. So I want to say to any customers, you know, when I say 99% or 100% of our workforce is going to be formally incarcerated, but at least, you know, put in 10% of our workforce for those underserved communities. Once again, please, let's remove the idea, oh, hey, look, they're criminals. Because at the end of the day, those people are fathers, their uncles, their brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. somebody Amen. that have made the wrong decision. And it's only right that we give them a shot to, to refine themselves back into society. Well, yeah, how whack is that? He mentioned it like that, like marijuana charges, right? Nonviolent, nonviolent stuff. Yeah. We cover, you know, you're selling a dime bag, you're, you're, you're in jail. You're talking about, we, we cover these white collar criminals all the time, extorting half yeah. a million, oh, yeah, million dollars from people, sure. currently burying gold yeah, out in right. there. Once, you know, he'll get out, he'll have another job. Yeah. But because you are 
of a uh, certain race or a certain community right. and you get that charge on there, it's very tough. And that's why we applaud what you're doing to give them that Absolutely. second chance to Absolutely. do that. We had all these people coming on doing comeback stories, and some had some okay ones. But, I mean, this is a real comeback story, especially in America and especially the way that society is set up here. Man. We got to keep checking in with you, man, and find out where you're going and help you with this mission because it, it is tremendous. And I would challenge everybody out there who is thinking that maybe they wouldn't work with you or whatever or have any kind of – think about your history or through your life. Many of these people have got sucked into this vicious cycle yeah. by something not much worse or probably less worse than any one of us have done. They just happened to be in the wrong place in the wrong time and got caught up in that vicious cycle. The wrong lawyer. Am I wrong, yeah. Pierre? Absolutely right. And once again, I grew up in those uh, underserved communities. I grew up in those dangerous communities. People don't understand how easy it is to get sucked up into those um, into those groups. Right. Because a lot of times for me, even me, myself living in those communities, there was nothing remotely around me that looked like success. There was nobody that we had to look up to. Mm -hmm. We didn't know no lawyers. We didn't know no doctors to look up to, no, no investors to look up to. The people that they looked up to in those communities are the people committing crime. So we have to really understand the root cause of these problems is that we don't just wake up one day and just say, hey, look, I'm just going to live a life of crime. It's part of our environment. That's what we see every day. And for me, that's the main reason why I got my CDL, because I didn't want to become a statistic, didn't want to become a product of that environment. And I believe CDL license can do that for millions of others as well. And yeah. I will say one last thing. Yeah. I need a community to do this, right? There's no way I'll be able to pull it along. So we need the entire country. We need everybody to come and put their hands together to help create this mission. Because once again, solving a problem in trucking, it's not just for our shareholders. It's not just for me to brag about, oh, I built a, you know, a billion or multi-billion dollar tech company. Let's look at the social impact. Let's look at the opportunity that this company has the ability to provide to marginalized communities and especially for women as well. So that's hey. how we should look at it. Amen, Pierre. Amen. After uh, after you and Kyrie win the NBA championship with the Brooklyn Nets, you'll have to come back on. Tell us how things are going. We look right forward on. to having you back. But in the meantime, people want to learn more about fleeting. Where do we send them? Yes. Um, if you want to learn more about fleeting, you can find us at www.fleeting.us. Please excuse the website. We're under some construction right now. It's going to be our, um, pretty much we're going to have a better website soon. So, yeah, definitely. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Pierre Laguerre. Find me on Instagram, Pierre underscore Laguerre 5. But mostly, if you want to be part of the fleeting ecosystem, if you want to roll your sleeve and help with the mission, find us at www.fleeting.us. Nice. Pierre, come to F3 November 8th to 10th. We need to see you in person. Need Definitely will be there. Come to Chattanooga. We'll see you there. Take it easy, man. We appreciate it. Peace, brother. Hey, if you want to come down to Chattanooga, the biggest jam in freight in-person events are back. Heck, we wish it was next week. We, oh, yeah. We're ready to go. I'm, hey, hey, I'm it's ready. six months ready. away. We got all this time to plan it. It's going to be in 30 different locations. Live.freightways.com. Click on F3. Uh, two, three-day festival of freight. Use code promo code WTT. You'll save yourself 200 bucks. Now let's get to a little good news, bad news. Good news. All right. <laughs> Good news. You're hungry and you've got the Uber Eats app, right? Oh, who's not going to order something on Uber Eats? I'm not. Have you seen those service fees? Yeah. No, not happening. Yeah. You millennials. You screwed <laughs> it up for us. You millennials yeah, and Zoomers. They used to have free right delivery. Up. And now they don't yeah. have that anymore. Even nope. Domino's wanted $5 to deliver the other day. What is yeah, going on over that's here? That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. What, what, we used to have free delivery. What do we do to it? Okay. Bad news, though. You're going to have to wait. Okay, so, you know, we talked about warehouses. We talked about trucking. All these different places being harder and harder to find workers. Well, same thing with the gig economy. Big issue there. Harry Campbell, who writes the popular Rideshare blog, uh, Rideshare Guy blog, recently wrote that he saw as the three reasons why... 
people were not returning quickly. Same reasons in every other industry. Unemployment assistance and paycheck protection program loans, lingering COVID and safety concerns, also things like daycare, school closures, and more competition for drivers. Other fields are now raising up their pay because they have to bring workers in. So people are going into different fields. So I have to wait and pay? You have to wait and pay. They did screw it up. They screwed it up bad. I've got bad news for you, my Yeah, friend. what is it? Yeah. <laughs> you're a Nikola exec, and your salary has just been slashed to $1. Whoa. $1. Nikola, Nikola executives have slashed their own salaries down to $1. Why would they do such a thing? Because there's good news, man. They're making okay. a bet, dude. Okay. After three years, Nikola and the stock returns to $55 a share. By then, the good news is if their stock hits certain milestones, they get a payout. Okay. Okay. So if after three years, for example, and Nikola's stock returns to $55 a share, CEO Mark Russell could realize $267 million payouts and some of the other executives, tens of millions of dollars, right? I guess. But right now it's sitting at $12.58. Okay. Would you so take the So you're going to trade your Dogecoin for that risk? Uh, would you do it? Would you no. take three years of no salary? I'm not in a financial position to do that. No, me neither. Me neither. I, I don't have I'm, any way to do that. I don't know if I would bet on that horse either. I mean, I, I know Nicholas trying to reform their things, but I don't know. I'm not buying the stock at 12.38, let alone taking a dollar salary to work to, three to, years. To hit everything to do that? Yeah. 18 billion dollar increase in market capitalization is what they'd have. It's to hard do. to make cars, and it's going to be very interesting when we see Tesla Cybertruck versus the Ford F-150. I think they're different markets, but seeing Ford at scale build electric vehicles and what they can do with their know-how, if they fall flat on their face or they crush it, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Alan Adler's a a fan. Oh, he likes it? Oh, yeah. He likes the Lightning? Mm. I think they're smart that they use the F-150 body, and I don't understand why people are confused why it looked like an F-150. No, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a great That's the call. You don't want it to look like Cybertruck. Cybertruck's for a different guy. You want to sell us to contractors, right? Yeah. You want people to have fleets of these local. People yeah. talk about 250 range. 250 range is perfectly 100% fine if you're buying That's a right. fleet of these for your, your contract. Absolutely. Work. There's a reason that it's one of the best selling vehicles ever. Yeah. I think there's a lot of them. Okay. Good news. You are a Canadian Army gunner doing a little live firing Sweet. exercise. When you notice, you start feeling a little good. Maybe a little too good. Well, bad news. It's because you've been dosed with pot cupcakes by a fellow gunner. That's right. Court documents allege (laughs) a sudden onset of paranoia, fatigue, and confusion (laughs) among troops who ate the cupcakes. And they were unaware of the psychoactive contents, and they didn't want to shoot anymore. They were like, yeah, you know, know, like peace, brother. Make love, not war, right? Yeah, well, it said said several of the affected members were allegedly unable to properly execute um, safe weapon and explosive handling drills. They're just (laughs) cracking up too much. All the members, and here's something that says all members of w battery except for one had these symptoms um they experienced symptoms which included dehydration dry mouth overeating the munchies fatigue confusion and paranoia and this in court documents too wow yeah you know who it was it was bombardier chelsea cogswell she's facing uh, 18 charges yeah yeah, be careful not with the live firearms right (laughs) no no that's a bad way hold this grenade i gotta do something yeah That's wow. insane. There you dude. go. I got some good news for yes, you. Yes, what is it? It's lunchtime, and you just happen to be in the parking lot at Wendy's on Lee Boulevard in Lehigh Acres, Florida. Oh, sounds nice, Fresh. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely good stuff. Here's the bad news. You're now being chased by a six-foot alligator. Oh, <laughs> where is he? Oh, here he comes. Oh, there he is. He's in the bushes, too. I don't know if he's actually chasing anybody right there. He's relatively um, slow-moving. He's not really going that fast. Maybe he got a few too many 
cheeseburgers. But yeah, so the sheriff's office says the gator was safely relocated and no injuries were reported. But, uh, you know, Wendy's was a little bit concerned because their, uh, their drive through was shut down, I guess, for a little bit. Oh, look, he's getting arrested <laughs> right here. There it or is. is that what the animal control officer is arresting him? So they had to shut down the drive through over this alligator. Yeah. That's, that, that's what Pretty Crystal was telling us. Crystal's one of our, our production people, a backstage yeah. producer here. She was telling, she's from Florida, and she yeah. said, yeah, it's pretty normal stuff. Yeah, she's like, what's the big deal? She was deal? not phased at all. What's the big deal? Throw a couple of french fries the other way and run. Yeah. Piece of cake. Here we go. Hand sanitizer. <laughs> good news. Hand sanitizer is back in stock. You know, all those stockouts from a year ago, yeah. talking about the bullet effect. You couldn't yeah. buy the toilet paper. You couldn't get the hand sanitizer. You couldn't get the Clorox wipes. Well, then they go and they make a bunch of hand sanitizer. Remember, they even shut down distilleries and stuff to make hand sanitizer. Yeah, that's why it all smelled like bad tequila, right? <gasps> well, here's the bad news. Yeah, it did. And here's the bad news. There's way too much of it. Take a look at this picture here. Now you're going to get your buy one, get three free of right hand on. sanitizer. America is awash in this. Uh, Wall Street <laughs> Journal had a story talking about it. There's just way too much hand sanitizer. Uh, the other thing that's going on, too, pandemic-related, is the other bulb effect hitting those masks, right? They produce so many masks. CDC now says we don't have to wear them. We all couldn't wait. Even people were pretty strict about masks. I was one of them. I would wear my, my mask. Oh, yeah. once, but once I was vaccinated, they took it down. I couldn't wait to tear that off. Yeah. I couldn't. Now I forget it all the time, too. Yeah. Well, so does everyone else. No one yeah, else is yeah, buying no, masks mask anymore. shaming now. And the Chinese productions have ramped up, so China is, is flooding our market with, with masks that nobody wants in the first place anymore or, or really needs. I mean, some places do. I'm not saying nobody. But the market has been flooded with it. And uh, a group of 26 small manufacturers have said to, have, were, talked to Joe Biden on Thursday. They sent a letter to him demanding he do something about it. But, hey, what are you going to do? I mean, you just had a good suggestion. Just stockpile it for the next pandemic. Yeah, well, you take some of the stimulus money and, and buy it do? and put it in there and just in case stockpile. Well, what else can you do? You're selling masks. You're selling masks. Uh, you help out these manufacturers who put this in place to help us out when we yeah. needed these things. It's... Hey, good news. Sam Ovid was supposed to be on the show and to okay. talk about whitewater rafting, work yeah. ethic, and how um, Mobile Pocket Office helps he okay? bring that together, meet your appointments, show up on time. Well, it must not have a podcast uh, checkbox on there because he didn't show up today at the show. We'll have to catch up with him another time, but he's got a cool father-son operation that he they does. have. He does. I was really looking forward to talking to him. He was a professional kayaker. Uh, or, and whitewater rafter. Yeah. You know, I've, have you been whitewater rafting before? I have. I, so where'd you go? Uh, Ocoee. Okay. Is that good? Yeah, it's awesome. On my honeymoon, I was I stayed at a place called the Pacora Lodge in Costa Rica. And if you ever go okay. to Costa Rica, I highly Ooh, recommend it. It's, it's one of those not places, as good as Costa Rica. Middle of a rainforest, and yeah. you have to you have to you have to whitewater raft just to get to this location. It's that oh, remote. Really? Is yeah. that right? You have to take a whitewater raft, and you wow. get barely any training, and you jump on this thing, and you know it's really fun. But you go past a lot of rocks, and oh, yeah. it does get pretty hairy. Like you really got to drill little, in. A little concerning. Yes. Yeah. You get some harsh waves, those rapids in your face. Maybe that's what happened to him. Maybe he was ride the whitewater raft. I hope he's okay. Wave took him over. Overboard. If anybody sees no him, let us there. know that he's okay. If you see we're Sam Ovid floating downstream, let him know we're looking for him. <laughs> we're looking uh, for him right we'll try now. to rebook him on here. Know who's going to be on the show Monday, though? Chris Hendricks, co-founder and head of partnerships at Boone Health. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. We'll get deep on it on Monday. Adrian Chapman, he's the owner and CEO at Cover 3 Consulting. We're going to get a little bit of marketing personal branding with him, talking about the social scores in LinkedIn, how you can enhance yours. Uh, John Piper, director of telematics on add-on systems, will be here, too, to kick it with us. As we said, Freightways Live at Home happened Wednesday, Thursday. You can find all of those sessions on demand at live.freightwaves.com or on Freightcast. You can find every single Freightways podcast. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna, that's D-O-O-N-E-R, or him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>